Chapter Three of Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter Three. Van der Lubbe, the Tool. Marinus van der Lubbe was born in Leiden on January 13, 1909. His father owned a small shop and also traded his wares through the neighboring villages. At the age of sixteen, after a short period as assistant in a shop, Marinus van der Lubbe became a worker in the building trade, which he had to leave after an accident which permanently injured his eyesight. Shortly before this he joined the Leiden branch of the Young Communist League. He was always ambitious and seeking prominence, and in January 1929 he resigned from the Young Communist League because he was not appointed leader of the Pioneers' organization. He rejoined, but in December 1929 again resigned, owing to a conflict with the Young Communist League in connection with leaflets which he wrote and distributed over his own signature he joined the league again in nineteen thirty but was distrusted and did not take any active part in april nineteen thirty one the question of his expulsion was raised and van der lubbe immediately resigned from that date he had no connection whatever with the young communist league or communist party but attacked the communists whenever he had the opportunity van der lubbe's life Marinus van der Lubbe was five months in the Leiden hospital after his accident. He could not go back to his trade and tried to earn his living in various ways. In the winter of 1927-28, to 28, he worked as a temporary waiter in the station restaurant in Leiden, and in the summer of 1928 he was a porter in the Van Holland Hotel at Nordwijk. After that he did a little trading in potatoes on his own account, and then worked on a ferry transporting building materials between Nordweg and Sassenheim. In the summer of 1930 he went to Calais, and on his return stated that he had worked as an excavator, and had also made some attempts to swim the channel. We have made detailed inquiries in Calais, but can find no evidence that he ever made such an attempt. But the fact that he boasted of this on his return to Leiden is characteristic of his outlook. Enquiries into his life in Leiden have definitely established the fact that he was homosexual. This is of great importance for his later history. His Tour Through Europe Together with a friend of his, Holverda, he planned a workers' sports and study tour through Europe, and had cards printed with his and Holverda's photographs, and the statement in four languages that they were undertaking a tour through Europe and the Soviet Union. Before they left, there was a quarrel, and Holverda remained in Leiden. Actually, the postcards say that the tour was to begin on April 14, 1931. We have in our possession one of these cards, dated from Potsdam, April 14, 1931. Not long after, van der Lubbe was back in Leiden. He makes Dr. Bell's acquaintance. When van der Lubbe returned from his first short visit to Germany, he told his friends of a gentleman who had taken him on a long tour in his car. 
we do not know whether luba's story was true or whether he invented the gentleman from leipzig but we do know that on that first visit to germany van der luba made the acquaintance of a man who played a decisive part in luba's future life in april or may nineteen thirty one luba met dr bell we know this from a friend of dr bell's he writes if i remember rightly it was in may nineteen thirty one that bell told me he had made the acquaintance of a young dutch worker who had made a very good impression on him he must have met him when he was out in his car near berlin or potsdam they met a hiker on the way and gave him a lift in the car he was a young dutch workman this young dutchman later visited bell in munich bell called him renus or renus he had frequent meetings with him marinus van der lubbe visits munich in september nineteen thirty one van der lubbe again started out for germany he still had the postcards which he had had printed for his tour through europe and sold them on his way at the frontier village of gronau in westphalia in september nineteen thirty one he was arrested for selling cards in the street without a license the court in munster imposed a small fine at bacharach on the rhine van der lubbe got into conversation with a motorcyclist he was also a dutchman plucht a railway engine driver whose home was in the hague blumfontienstraat twenty four plucht gave lubbe a lift in his side-car and they put up overnight in rotenburg plucht at the hotel and lubbe at a youth hostel plucht told our investigator of the conversation he had had with van der lubbe who in reply to the question what he was doing in germany said that he was looking for work plucke then asked van der lubbe whether he would not be much more likely to find work in holland than in germany to which lubbe replied with great assurance that he would get work in germany plucke recalls that he was surprised at van der lubbe's tone of assurance from rotenburg the two went on to munich parting on the outskirts of the town we know that van der lubbe visited dr bell in munich we do not know exactly how long he stayed there but it must have been some days as on his return to leiden he gave his friends a detailed and accurate description of the town he talked not only of the town but also of the grand time he had had there and of the many gentlemen whose acquaintance he had made there the most important acquaintance made by van der lubbe in munich was captain Ruhm at that time dr bell was still adviser in foreign politics to hitler's chief of staff Rühm. he was a close friend of Rühm's, so close in fact that Rühm gave him the confidential task of establishing connections with the reichsbanner commander major meyer Rühm then felt that he was being persecuted by the national socialist murder gang and he tried to get protection from meyer through the intermediary dr bell all these facts were established in court in october nineteen thirty two when captain room brought an action against the social democratic journal munchener post bell was not only adviser in foreign politics to room he was also his confidant in personal matters the munchener post and other papers in nineteen thirty two published letters from room to young men from which it is clear that room was homosexual 
dr bell knew many of room's relations with young men for the reason that he himself procured many of them for room bell who had intimate knowledge of the situation within the national socialist party kept a list of these young men intending to use it as a weapon against room if any conflict developed with him van der lubbe's name was on this list a voyage of adventure after leaving munich van der lubbe did actually carry out part of his tour through europe we are in possession of a postcard written by him from krakow our investigator in holland saw a letter which he had written from budapest and a card from belgrade when van der lubbe returned to leyden in january or february nineteen thirty two he had a great deal to tell his friends about his tour one of these tales deserves to be told van der lubbe said that he had been in poland and had reached the frontier of the soviet union a mighty river he said divides poland from the soviet union he had tried to swim this river but was driven back by shots from the polish frontier guards he was then arrested and kept a few days in a prison from which he could see the soviet frontier across the river then he was sent about his business van der lubbe's friends were greatly astonished when our investigator informed them that there was no mighty river between poland and the soviet union this tale again is characteristic of van der lubbe's boastfulness and desire for notoriety the cards and letters which van der lubbe had written to his friends in leyden are proof that at the end of nineteen thirty one and the beginning of nineteen thirty two he was in several towns in hungary poland and yugoslavia it is probable that he was not alone but in the company of some rich man on his return to leyden he said that a gentleman in budapest had given him new shoes that the dutch consul in yugoslavia had given him his fare back and other improbable things which suggest that he actually traveled with some rich friend dr bell introduced luba not only to captain room but to other national socialists as well from then on he was in regular communication with national socialist circles his friends in leyden are unanimous in their statements that luba received many letters from germany and that he always tried to conceal these letters from his friends a guest of the nazis van der lubbe's return to leyden in january or february nineteen thirty two was unexpectedly prompt he sent a postcard from berlin and arrived at leyden at the same time as the card he must therefore have traveled by train or by car the question of where the money came from remains open after an interval of about two months van der lubbe went on a third visit to germany but before that he achieved a little notoriety in leyden smashing some windows at the office of the relief organization which had refused to increase his allowance he was sentenced to three months imprisonment for this before going to prison however he managed to pay another visit to germany we know that he went to berlin and saxony on june first and second he stayed the night at zernowitz where he was seen in company with the local councillor sommer and also schumann who owned a vegetable garden both are national socialists 
after the reichstag fire councillor sommer reported van der lubbe's visit in june nineteen thirty two to the mayor of brockfitz this fact was recorded in a protocol which was forwarded to the saxon ministry of the interior which notified frick reich minister of the interior of these facts the facts became public as a result of an interpolation in the saxon diet by a social democratic deputy they have not been denied by anyone the papers which reported this interpolation also reported that councillor sommer had disappeared a short time after he had made the report concerning van der lubbe's stay at zernowitz this statement too has not been contradicted after his stay in zernowitz van der lubbe must have remained in germany a few days longer on his return to holland he was arrested in utrecht on june twenty first nineteen thirty two he was nine days in prison in Utrecht, and was then moved to the prison at Scravenhaga, Hague, to carry out his three months' sentence. Van der Lubbe Attacks the Communist Party Van der Lubbe was released from prison on October 2, 1932. He came from The Hague to Leiden, and did not go out of the country again before the end of the year. He paid a visit to his father at Dordrecht, and then went on to Amsterdam and The Hague. In these towns he spoke at a number of meetings, his speeches vigorously attacking the Communist Party. We have definite evidence of this. One document in our possession shows that van der Lubbe spoke at a fascist meeting for the fascists. A second document describes van der Lubbe's attitude at a meeting of taxi drivers who were on strike at The Hague. At this meeting, van der Lubbe not only attacked the communists, but tried to incite the taxi drivers to terrorist acts. Van der Lubbe followed a consistent line since he finally left the Communist Party. From 1929 to 1931, he had been trying to find scope for his anarchist tendencies within the communist movement and when his connections with it were finally broken in april nineteen thirty one he turned to attacking the movement this attack became more and more vigorous at every meeting he addressed the arguments which he was using during the last quarter of nineteen thirty two were clearly influenced by national socialist propaganda lower middle class in origin and only temporarily in the ranks of the workers he had returned to the fold his last journey to germany in january nineteen thirty three van der lubbe was making preparations for another visit to germany before he left he had to have treatment for his eyes again at the leiden hospital and he was four weeks in hospital shortly before his departure for germany he visited frau van zeip in whose house he had lodged she told our investigator of her last talk with van der lubbe who told her that his passport had very nearly run out she asked him whether it was really necessary for him to go to germany and whether he would not do better to stay in leiden van der lubbe replied that she need not worry he had something important to do in germany he would only need his passport for this occasion and then it would not matter if it ran out in the middle of February, Marinus van der Lubbe left Leiden. Before his departure, he had a new suit and new shoes. 
the Vossische zeitung of march second reported that he spent the night at glindau near werder on february seventeenth and that he went on to berlin on february eighteenth in berlin he met the nazi friends whose acquaintance he had made through dr bell van der lubbe the tool on february twenty seventh van der lubbe was arrested in the burning reichstag the flames were the background of the hoax in which van der lubbe for a few hours played the leading role then he passed from the stage the searchlights of truth have pierced the fog of deception and mercilessly shown up goering and goebbels who made use of van der lubbe as their tool why did the murderer highness and his associates who had been entrusted by goering and goebbels with the technical carrying out of the incendiary act choose van der lubbe as the tool van der lubbe had been in the communist movement in holland up to april nineteen thirty one the men who were carrying out the orders issued by goering and goebbels believed that this was enough to make it possible to put the guilt for the incendiary act in the reichstag onto the shoulders of the communists van der lubbe's homosexual connections with national socialist leaders and his material dependence on them made him obedient and willing to carry out the incendiary's part van der lubbe's dutch nationality was a further advantage it enabled goering and goebbels to represent the burning of the reichstag as an international plot for all these reasons van der lubbe was chosen as the tool to carry out the incendiary act the leading figures in the plot were dr goebbels concocted the plot for setting fire to the reichstag also the fanatical lies and provocation captain goering a drug fiend directed operations Edmund Hines, a murderer, was entrusted with the leadership of the incendiary group. Marinus van der Lubbe, the tool. When the Chicago police in 1886 staged a bomb explosion carried out by paid provocators, an explosion which killed a large number of the police, it was seven years before the act of provocation was established. The tools had been well chosen after the burning of the reichstag it took only three days to make the whole world certain that the national socialists had set fire to the reichstag the tool van der lubbe was too ill chosen End of chapter three